Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Psalm, chapter 46. These really are amazing days, and um, it's just a real privilege to be able to share them with you. And today, we want to look at this 46th Psalm and talk a little bit more about something that is uh, very much a part of our partnership with God. And it, it's about um, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven, but it's also about the, um, the river that God's river that flows from that place. And when you talk about something like this from the Word, um, Scott, can you crank down the, the lights just a little bit? Thank you. Um, when you talk about things like the river of God, that's great, thanks. Some people just consider it to be an allegory. They don't really think it's real. Even good Bible-thumping believers, they just talk about the river as if it's some kind of a thing that the Scripture mentions, but it really represents something else. And um, honestly, most Christians don't really think that much about it. You know, I remember back many, many years ago here in this house, um, Brother Della Teja, who was on staff here, very wonderful man. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. But he would sing in his Cuban-English accent, there is a river. And uh, sometimes uh, he would come up on Wednesday night when we had a stack of prayer requests that we had to scan through, and he would sing that. And everybody just, oh, they just loved it. It was just so peaceful. And uh, I remember in our senior adults group, so many of those folks would say, when I die, Brother Delateja, would you sing that at my funeral? You know, and so he had a long list of people. I don't ever remember him doing that, but um, they all asked for it. And, you know, we would sing about the river of God or we'd talk about it, but it was more from a, a soothing factor. It's just so nice, you know. Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores me there. We like that. And, the, and you know, and, and truthfully, there is power and majesty in that. But I want to tell you this morning that when God's Word says in many different places that there is a river that flows out of the temple of tabernacle of testimony, and Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel 47. We're going to mention it here in Psalm 46. There are other references that God means it. And we are being brought into a point and have been being brought into a point of partnership with God in those biblical factors. And through it, the world is going to be touched. So I give no apology today for speaking about something that some in Christian circles would think is off the beaten path, certainly they would probably think that um, we've gone over into the weird side. But the point, though, is that these are very real things that we're, that we're living and experiencing. And I, I, I think maybe we should read the Scripture first, and then we'll just keep talking, and we're going to explain a couple things here, and we're going to make some declaration, because I'm telling you this. You're living this. Every one of you, saints are living this. The Scripture is coming alive. The veil is removed. And we are living these factors. These are not allegories. And see, anytime I said I was going to read the Scripture, but anytime we biblical fundamental people who say the Word of God is alive, the Word of God is inerrant, the Word of God is inspired, every word is from God, it will never pass away. There, there are people sitting on the other side of the pew, figuratively, who say, 
Oh, yes, I believe that. But that really doesn't mean what it says there. You know, that's really an allegory. It's, it's not functional. We have to be really careful with that because when Jesus came onto the scene, what did the people say about him? You know, the Pharisees who guard over the Scripture, supposedly, are over here. But when this guy speaks, he speaks like the Word of God is really alive. It's with power. And Pharisees didn't like that because it can't mean, who is this guy? Where is he getting this from? Who taught him? Those same things, if we're going to be like Jesus, those things are going to happen to you as the Spirit of God, the author of this, our Lord Jesus Christ, is walking with you. We are gaining understandings of Scripture for our day in partnering with God that aren't just some fanciful pie-in-the-sky thing. You're living this, and you know you're living it. So many of you prophets, seers, teachers, evangelists, pastors, in apostolic calling, God has given you insights into these things. He's taken you into these places. He's given you vision. He's given you dream. And He's given you revelation of the foundation of the Scripture that we all have to have from the very beginning. God said, everything that I show you, everything that you experience, is going to line up with the Word. I'm going to establish it with the Scripture. And he's done that, hasn't he? He's done that faithfully. You're living this. And so, um, got a lot to talk about today. Um, I think that it will be something that will inspire us. But mostly, this is, uh, this is real-time release of scriptural understanding concerning where you are. Not where you might be sometime. You're so much in this that your clothes should be dripping wet because we are in this in the Lord. This is not allegory. This is not even a parable. This is not, there's a difference between allegory and a parable. You can look that up later, not during the sermon. Um, this isn't some poetic thing that God says this, but he really means that. Too much in, too much in Christendom uh, goes that way, and there's just a short drop between this really isn't Scripture. You know, we can't believe any of that. Psalm 46. It says there uh, in the King James, which the Apostle Paul carried, um, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, which are the priests, a song upon Alamoth. What does that mean? You can look it up, but this means sung by a soprano or some guys that are more like the Bee Gees who sing in falsetto. Who are the Bee Gees? <laughs> and, you know, really what I take from this, David instructed that this be sung by somebody with a high voice, probably a woman, which would upset the apple cart from a lot of misogynistic views of what went on in the Scripture. Um, I know this one thing. You know, back in, the, back in the 40s and 50s, you had guys that would sing, you know, like Bing Crosby, not the Bing Crosby, the butcher out in, in uh, New Mexico. But um, <laughs> that's a Tammy joke. You need to ask Tammy about that later. But they would sing these, you know, boo, 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 boo. you know, they'd sing these, these um, baritone solos and things like that. It was, it was great. But then you come into the the time, even Elvis had that. You know, every now and then he'd get way up there singing high. But most of the rock musicians sing really high. You know, they screech out. You know, if you're going to be a, not that any of you would be, but if you're going to be a guy that sings, or, or even a woman who sings in rock to kind of stir people up, you, you think, how are they singing that high? How many drugs did they take to be able to sing that high? And to do it every night, it's just wild. And, and like even Frankie Valley, when he would sing with the Four Seasons, you know, he'd sing way up there. And it, it just kind of startles you. So David, under the anointing of the Spirit, said when he sent this over to the tabernacle, you make sure you have somebody high singing this. This is a, a, a threefold sila 
word about how God is touching the earth. This is an amazing psalm, and we're not going to read all of it, but it really does speak prophetically and energetically and excitedly about this is not a this is not a consoling psalm. You know, like there's some stemwinder verses like verse 10, be still and know that I am God. You know, that's great. We all know that one. But you have to look, what psalm is this in? This has been sent as a as a psalm to change the world through the river of God and through what goes on in heaven. It's a threefold selah, and whoever's singing this has some pop to their voice. I mean, it's not go to sleep singing. This is something that you would sing to get people jazzed because it's exciting to partner with the Lord. And so that disclaimer right at the front, that descriptive right at the front, tells us a lot about this psalm. So we're only going to read the first five verses, but you should read the whole thing. And like I said, it's a threefold, uh, it's a three-sela, but it really does speak about revolutionizing the world, and this is what we are living now. God is our refuge and strength, owes the almighty power that can do anything, a very present help, no matter what kind of trouble we may face Therefore, we're not fearful, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Wow, that's, that's a big beginning. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Wow. What does this mean? Well, there are certain factors of it that are truly appropriate to where we are at this very moment. I don't need to tell you what the state of the world is. We're not really going to focus on that right now. If you need to tell me, if, if I need to tell you that, you're either asleep or haven't been paying attention. Um, but this river and streams from the river and making glad the city where Elohim rules, the holy place of tabernacles of Elyon, Elohim is in the midst. That's another factor we need to talk about. So she's secure, and Elohim is going to help, and he's going to do it at the breaking of the day. All of these are tremendous. So let's first of all talk about this river and streams and the tabernacle. First of all, tabernacle here. Um, this is in the plural and um, I, 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 as you study about the tabernacle, we, we know about the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David. But one of the things that I discovered over this past week as I was studying is that this word, before there were the tabernacle of Moses or the tabernacle of David, this word began by describing the little hut that a shepherd would stay in. And that's something. So the, the etymology of this word, all, anything to do with the tabernacle, anything to do with the tabernacles, had to do with a shepherd that was responsible for sheep in remote places throughout the world. And I think that is amazing. So here that you have tabernacles, we also want to remember that what we've studied, that when David wanted to establish the temple, he would pray that those tabernacles or his tabernacle would make the way for the temple of the Lord. Very systematic template of a prayer. When Solomon had the temple built, 
under the auspices of David's vision and David's contacts with Hiram and the others, Solomon took that same template of his father and changed it and said, from this temple, let tabernacles go out. That's a very interesting thing. Why? Because as we've studied, tabernacles make the play the way for temple. And there's not just one temple on earth. God wants to establish many of them, touch points of his presence. And in fact, the still waters that in Psalm 23 that David says God leads me beside, still is manukah. It means that the people have partnered with the nuach of God. They've partnered with his presence, but they have established the dwelling place of God, which is what manukah is. So the still waters that David is gaining his, his, uh, his directive with the, the Lord, Yahweh being his shepherd, that takes place in a, in a glorious zone where the presence of God has not only visited, but is residing. And so, uh, and, and I know I've taught on this in the past many years. I've heard lots of people preach on it, and they'll say, still waters, in the old Motown song, still waters run deep. Well, yes, but why do they run deep? Because God has established his dwelling place there. And from that point then, David, everything David describes, going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, a table before me in the presence of my enemies, comes out from that deep dwelling place of God from which tabernacles are released. Does that make sense? So, um, I can remember the first dream that I ever had in this house, not, not while I was in this house, but after we transitioned into the pathway of being saints and intercessors. I was in heaven, and I looked at what I knew in the distance was the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. We'd not studied about it at that point. This was the first thing that I, first time that I had actually seen it. And I remember there was a rock face that I needed to climb up over. It came to about nose level for me, but I could see over it. And this huge, white, beautiful temple. And I remember, I've talked about this early on. This had to be back in 1997, 98. Um, I could see water coming, just a little trickle of water coming out of that rock face. And I I thought, this is, this is interesting. In fact, I even took put my face over to, to have a sip of it. It reminded me of uh, being back in, on, the, on the drives that we would take as a family to West Virginia when I'd be laying up in the back window of the car because that was the only place for me, but that was my little bed. Many of you slept in places like that back before seatbelt laws or anything like that. And my dad would pull off the side of the road at certain places, and he'd disappear into the, he'd go up and he'd come back with, uh, an, he'd go there with an empty jug, and he'd come back with a, a, a jug full of water that was coming out of the, he knew where the streams were that broke out of those rocks, and we would all drink from that. That was our, that was our uh, uh, Stuckies or our, our, uh, our Buckies or our Fuel City, you know, instead of, you wouldn't go and get a, you wouldn't go and get a, a Slurpee. You'd drink out of the common jug of water that was derived out of the hills. But I remember that, and I thought, this water is so cool. It's great. And I saw a couple of women walking toward the, uh, the, the temple, and I thought, who are those? I didn't see any other person. And I, I've recognized over the years that perhaps those represented people that had prayed and partnered with God that welcomed us into this season, the great cloud of witnesses, as it were. And I can remember then, um, and then the dream ended. I never climbed over the rock and ran up into the, into the, um, into the temple. But then I, I can remember other times where we were brought into that place and in intercession, proscuneo. I remember other times where God would show different things about that place. I remember when God showed us about the stelos, the, temp, the, the pillar in the temple, and the connective that goes up, that conduit. 
I, I remember those things. Very, very interesting. There's probably been 10 or so dreams and lots of other visions and a lot of active intercessory uh, encounters that we've had, that we've all had regarding this place that is ably taught in the Scripture. Um, it's not theoretical. It's not reading Rabbi Shlomo. You've seen these things, and the Spirit has revealed from the Scripture, this is that. This is what it is. And it's not, it's not something that's just a scholastic pursuit. This is how God is moving in these days. This is what God is doing through you and in you and in every intercessor. And so I, I'm grateful for that. And a couple of weeks ago in France, I talked about uh, being there praying with those precious folks, the saint leaders of the, of the network there in France. And um, God opened up a what I felt was a, a, a measure of his apocalypsis. I spoke about this in, in a new dimension of what God's doing in these days and the excitement of the angelic that was looking through. And as I look past from this same vantage point where I had that initial dream, I could see from that same vantage point the same temple. Only this time, it was busied with activity, and I felt like God was really connecting uh, a lot of other experiences and a lot of other intercessory um, partnerships that we've had regarding what goes on there. God's shown us a lot, hasn't he? We're a privileged people. Each of us are. You know, I just have the privilege of being up here to speak this, but you've been living this. You are living this. And, and again, it's all, we cite chapter and verse. We, we can lay it out. We can say, this is what this means. This is the Scripture. And, and that's the thing about encounters in the spirit realm that are ordained of God, visions, dreams. It unlocks understandings for you. You do, and then you teach. You're faithful to the Lord. He does things with you. He shows you things. And you come away from that, not just having seen, but there's, there's an opening of understanding that is given through the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And then God shows you things in the Word. You study that out. And it, it's just, it's like getting a clue. We speak about mysteries. It's like getting a clue that then opens the door. Like if you, I'm not equating these things with crossword puzzles. Sometimes if you're working a crossword puzzle and you gain one that you, you've been wondering about, and then suddenly because you got that, boom, 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 you can figure out other things. Uh, and, and in the spirit realm, God speaks about mysteries, and he speaks about his overall purpose. He speaks about chronos and kairos. He speaks about all these things. And one factor affects another. And the wonderful thing about where we are right now is uh, you can see why God has been training us in this way. You can see why God has been showing these revelatory things. You've hidden those words in your heart because he's been preparing us for this moment where real-time releases in these end times are going to happen from these places and he's been preparing you. First of all, he's been partnering with you in intercession because according to the book of Amos, God doesn't do anything unless he first has this agreement with his friends and prophetically who are partnering. Everything begins with a voice. God looks for an intercessor. We talked about that from the book of Isaiah. God has chosen to partner with you. And so those things that you've done in intercession God is used to open the door, but he's also giving you authority in them and understanding in them, and you're faithful in those small things. He gives you authority over others. It's amazing. It just is amazing. But last Sunday night, I thought it was interesting, Pastor Fabian spoke as less said on dreams. Uh, last Sunday night, I had a dream, and I... I was, uh, it was a very vivid dream. I was in France, and I was with my brother, Luc Benichon, and um, I, was, I was in the place. I knew 
I knew the streets. I knew where we were going. I was looking for a place that we had several of our first seminars in, and I was looking for a vehicle to drive. And when we went to the place where a vehicle was, these vehicles were all run down, and I pieced together, if you can believe this. My dad's probably laughing in heaven if he knows this. Uh, it was me. You know how I fix cars? I drive them over to the Acura dealer. Um, so, but I pieced together this vehicle, and Luke and I'm driving in France, which is another scary picture. But we could not find, I could not find the place where we were meeting. And, and I went to this one area, and I could see a river. And I thought, well, I'm glad our meeting place is on this side of the river, because we'd never get over that river. And finally, I recognized we can't find where, we're, where we've been. We can't find it. It's, the vehicle is broken down. We can't find this place. And the next thing I know, we were on the banks of this raging river, and it was flowing from right to left. And there were, it was crystalline white. It was so broad. And, and I thought, this is where we're supposed to be. And this is amazing. And then I woke up. And I knew that Ezekiel 47, the river that could not be passed over, waters to swim in, but the river could not be passed over. I spoke about this last week. Um, and the, the fourfold progression of how you partner with the river of God that flows out of that temple. All of this is scriptural. It just is. And you know what? When I'm reading it, I, I can pinpoint places that we've been in, and I know how that goes, but it's scriptural. It's described in scriptural. Oh, that's just allegory. No, it's not. You better be careful. You better be careful if you say these things that God says over and over again. He may just mean what he's saying. He may just be describing something that is very real, and I'm sure he is, but you know, the human mind wants to throw down these kinds of things. You know, we're just all sitting in the, in, in the back of the church, not that Mark and Trish are, but, you know, you know the way most churches are, you know, and we're waiting for the rapture to happen or for us to die first. That's, that's where we're going in the sweet by and by. These things are functional now. So, verse 4, there is a river. It's true. Not there might be, not there's something like a river, there is a river. And if you study about Jerusalem, there aren't any rivers there. So some people kind of throw this down. Oh, this is speaking about Jerusalem. It's speaking about Israel. This is in the heavens. It just is. I mean, this is where Elohim dwells. The streams of this river are what we need to recognize in conjunction with the tabernacle today. I think that where we are right now, the, this river of God that flows out of the temple, and Ezekiel 47 gives the pattern, but then, and it's preparatory. Those four sections, and we talked about it last week, you can listen to it. The, the, it's preparatory that brings you to this point. It's developmental. And I, I was blessed by what God showed about Ezekiel 47. But when you come to this point, you're, you're ready by, at the timing of the Lord to see streams flow out of this river. Cannot be passed over, can mean a number of different things. It, uh, it, it means that it can't be surpassed. It means you can't control it, even though you can swim in, in your, your tributary over it. But it's, it's almost like the heart that beats and pumps and sends a flow into the arteries and then into the veins. It's, it's like the, the vine and the branches that go out from it. It's like the root of the tree that then spreads out. That's the, that's the way we need to view the river of God. And when it comes to this point that cannot be passed over, it then speaks here about the streams, streams, tributaries that flow out from it in conjunction with the tabernacle. 
the tabernacles, plural. Does that make sense? So when it talks about there is a river and then it speaks about streams going forth, you know, like I grew up in river country in, in Pennsylvania, God's, God's, God's country. And I know that streams usually flow into a river or smaller rivers flow into and make a bigger river. You know, where I grew up in Pittsburgh, you had the Allegheny and the Mon, Monongahela that flowed in and formed the Ohio, and then the Ohio comes, and then it flows into the Big Muddy, and the Missouri also connects into that, forming the Mississippi. We know that's the way usually this happens. But the river of God, it flows into this major point, and from that then streams go out, just like a heart, just like um, uh, the vine and the branches, just like the taproot and the branches that go off of a tree. And that's one of the reasons why you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. You know, and, and when, you, when you see paradise when you're there and you see the river of God flowing through there and you see the trees of life on either side, which Ezekiel speaks of in Ezekiel 47, and then there comes this point where it begins to swing back around and go into the nations, which Ezekiel speaks about very clearly. Um, you, you know that what we're talking about right here in our sanctuary is a, a vestige of the stream off of that river. It's still the river of God, but it's designed to take forth tabernacles is designed to empower tabernacles, and then off of that stream, then other streams form, and through that, nations and continents move. Now, there are many streams. These are plural. There are other groups around the world that are partnering with God. Not that many in this way. I'm not saying they're not doing the work of the Lord, but this is a specialized type of ministry, and it's, it's all biblical. So there is a river... And um, the streams thereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of Elion. What do all those mean? You've studied these terms. What is El Elion? What is the Most High? Blessed be Abraham, possessor of heaven and earth, friend of the Most High. These are the places where those who walk in faith need to establish the high places and the glory of God is to be known. Every king in the Old Testament was judged on what he did or did not do in the high places. We do recognize that. And this is a battle point for the high places of the earth. These, this river and these streams address these what Elion is doing. The holy place of the tabernacles, we talked about tabernacles. What, but what, out of that temple of the tabernacle, that temple of tabernacle, where prayer is being offered for what God is doing on the earth, where you have that altar of incense outside that temple, you have the court of the Gentiles, and then you have the, the battle point, that contested point that separates that from the nations. This is where that river begins to flow through. Only God could orchestrate things like this. But, you know, how does it make glad city of our God? Now, this is one of those joy words. But the derivative of this is really exciting. How could you make glad the temple of the tabernacle of testimony? Well, if you trace this derivative, you find that it's used to describe what happens after a great battle has been won? What happens after a great harvest has been brought in? What happens after some triumphant victory, whatever it might be, some miraculous provision, some miraculous point of, of a commune with God or a covenant with God? This speaks about the aftermath of a great measure of partnering with God to see what he promised fulfilled. So, if it makes glad this place, that means that whatever, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a sila where you, you promise it and then it comes back. 
It's kind of like the, the uh, shalom where you go out and you come back. Um, whatever has been initiated in prayer, whatever has been initiated in partnership with the plan of God, whatever has been initiated as intercessors on your face before God regarding what God is doing upon the earth, that has gone out in this river it's come back, as Ezekiel clearly describes, and it comes back to the point of origin, and, and there is great triumph. There is great rejoicing because of something that has been initiated, has been prophesied, has been established in Scripture, and the great victory has come, and there's triumph and rejoicing there. So it makes glad the city of Elohim, where hope is generated, and uh, it's just all of these biblical factors, these principles, pneumaticos principles, all of these deeper veins of the understanding of the Word in partnership with Him, they all culminate there. And, and so this river, I, I, you know, I, can't, I cannot go past what God's shown in the dream, this recent dream, yes, for France. But that's not the only place. That is a precious place. They are allies with us. They are the first allies that God brought us in alignment with. We treasure their partnership. But God's given us responsibility for other strategic areas of the world, and we know we've been given responsibility of them, haven't we? Um. And I don't need to mention them, but there are streams in this place where the river breaks through and God begins to, 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 to send it out into, into various places. Um, we're, we're really functioning there, real time. And I, I think it's very interesting that God, Elohim is in the midst. What, what is in the midst there? You look at that. It, yes, it can mean in the center, but it means something much deeper than that. Uh, if, if you talked about who you are, if you use this word to describe Tammy, not just in the core where the, where the Spirit of God, the born-again Spirit of God is, the ma'a place, but it really speaks about what you feel, what you from the base from which your expressions and your reactions arise, the, the core uh, purpose that you, that you embrace more than any other. It, it speaks about that integral essence place. It's kind of like the, the river of God in you. Where does this spring forth? Where, where's the essence of it? Where's Where's the, uh, the, 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 the fountain of that? And so when it speaks about God being in the midst, Elohim in the midst, that heart of God in the essence of who you are, um, God being in the midst speaks about the fact that he's invested himself there and that we invest ourselves in him and we're there and, and I just think this is interesting. God is in the midst. So this plan is not going to be overthrown, even though the nations are being moved, even though the world is being shaken. We're secure because this is the thing that is eternal, and we're with him. God will help, and that right early. That sounds like an old Appalachian phrase. Pert near it, right early. Boy, I'm getting up right early this morning. Got a lot of work to do out in that northern pasture. No, this, this really does indicate the breaking of the dawn. It, it, it indicates the rising of grace, the rising of the, of the light of day. Weeping may endure for a night, all this moving and shaking, even even you investing yourself in prayer, but yet not seeing the manifestation of it in the natural. When the dawn comes, joy comes in the morning. And, and so that's how God moves. That, it's just describing how Elohim, Elohim moves. And so I, um, I encourage you through this week to 
well, even today, read the, read the other um, six verses here uh, of this chapter. St- consider those selahs. See what, see what God is promising. But for us functionally, not just because I had dreams or can pinpoint progressively dreams that I know God has given for this saints network, for this house, and, and how it began from a little trickle of water out of a rock, looking up, seeing this place, to over the years us functioning and having activations there where God has welcomed us as a network and his people. We're going to go into this place at the behest of God, and whatever our intercession is going to do is going to partner with God in this, the activity in there, the angelic ministries. Even after the last seminar we had before COVID shut shut the in-house seminars. I remember seeing, being in that, we did a TTT activation there, and I remembered seeing two muscular giant angels that were, that were taking these great winnowing shovels and tossing out over the earth different uh, factors of dust and uh, flaming particles. And, and little did we know at that time that the things that would shape the next two years around the world would really be unprecedented. We've had lots of those kinds of ac- activities, haven't we? And, and so God is, I'm not telling you about someplace, oh, get ready, this is going to be active in your life. You've been active in it. But what God is releasing now is an efficacy of his river, his streams, and um, we're going to need to rely upon that. We are going to rely upon it. Several weeks ago, we started talking again about the river. I remember that Sunday morning where it was very dynamic. Even this morning, Monica was standing up here and this ear just popped open. That means something too. Because you had no idea that I was going to speak about this today. Um, this is represent this is functional, but it's also representative. And we, we only see in this house, I mean, we can talk about things that that we that God's allowed us to see, and we can do kind of like, we can associate. Um, yeah, I know where this is. I've been here. But in this small place, we can look. The throne, the right hand of the throne, the, the thesaurus, the temple of the tabernacle, the nations, the troubled place, paradise, the, 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 the well where the Apostle Paul and the, and the uh, a cloud of witnesses are that are really representing a lot of what we're doing today. The, the, the way the water comes through, the pool of Bethesda, the sprinkling off into the nations. These are biblical things. God allows us to understand them in our mind and grasp them just in this small house. But it's kind of like looking at a map. We were talking about maps go earlier from the ancient days of Dallas before GPS or, or even Garmin and then GPS came about. You know, I can look at my phone and I can see, you know, find a friend. Um, I can see where Kelly is and I can see where Katie is. Debbie won't let me see where she is. But I can see where my daughters are. And on my phone, I can look exactly where Katie is today, even though she's a thousand miles away, on my phone. And somehow I'm able to relate to that. I've been to Florida. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. And I can see it on my phone, even though it's a thousand miles away. That's what I'm talking about here. God has allowed us to understand these eternal places where we're going to live with God and we're functioning in him now. We've been there. We've been there. We've been there at the behest of our Father as intercessors. We've seen these things. We've studied them in Scripture just to make sure we're not going off on some wild tangent. The word we hide in our heart that we will not miss the mark or sin in our interpretation of what God is showing. And what God is showing, what God reveals in Scripture is commensurate with what he's doing in us. He's not showing us a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with what we're doing in him. What benefit would that be? Of course, it would be great to understand those things. But it's a to-do 
and to teach function, which is what Luke said in the book of Acts, Jesus lived by. And so we, we have the privilege of knowing this, but man, you know, this morning uh, as I was studying, I got a, a WhatsApp video from Pastor Luciano and there, there where their Sunday school class was, and they were teaching on the cross and the histeme. And all of those people were scribbling down notes. And I thought, dear God, the power of your cross in the church, not thankfully, the way to salvation, the only way to salvation, that's the beginning point. But then the, the, the vivid uh, application of what Jesus came to die on the cross for, sowing into the church. This is revolutionary for those folks. And I suppose that out of all the teachings that we've given or are trying to give down there, the, the, the first one uh, is proscuneo, which should make sense to us. The second most powerfully embraced is the cross and the stemme. And there they all were. And I thought, this message is being taught there. It's, it's being taught in other churches. This message is going to be taught throughout Brazil. This is going to then permeate across the borders into all these other nations, and that continent is being impacted. How? Because somehow, years ago, you acted in obedience upon something that at the foundation of the world, God said, I'm going to cause this person to be born at that time. And I'm going to put them in this place. And it's up to them to say, I'll partner with you. You said, yes, Lord. I will go deeper in you. I will commit myself. Though none go with me, as we used to sing on Friday night mission service, though none go with me, I'll follow. You thought that was just for the missionaries that go out in the deepest, but go to Africa, Dennis, go to Africa. But that was a joke back in those days. We would say that, go to Africa or go someplace. But little did you know that God was saying, though many other folks that you know and love won't go there, I'll follow you, Lord. And because you said yes and you remained faithful and you stood, God began to show these revelations of His Word and give understanding of things that then we can teach and make disciples. And because you said yes, an entire continent is going to be touched with the vitality of why Jesus died on the cross. If that doesn't shake you, I don't know what will. And that's just one thing of hundreds that God, because you said yes, because you prayed, because you were on your face and you said, it doesn't matter what other happens, who else may go away, I'm staying before you, Lord. Because you said yes, the streams of this river are going to transform places that the enemy has brought all kinds of disturbance. But God is in the midst of you, and in the midst of this place, we're functioning as citizens of heaven. Now, what does that have to do with you today? I haven't preached a three-point sermon in 20 minutes that tells you all the answers to the problems you have in your life. I don't know how you're going to survive this week without that. It's like when I used to try to do that, I remember there was an older lady who was in the church and her family all surrounded her. They sat right back there, precious people. And one of the things about her, she loved me, and I'm not saying this about anybody here, but this, this woman had a propensity to fall asleep about two minutes into my sermon. And so her sons, when they would go to Wyatt's, remember Wyatt's? After service, they'd say, well, Mom, what would you think about the message? Oh, it was just great. And they knew that she didn't hear much of what was said. And so the other son would say, well, what'd you like most about it? <laughs> and they would play this with her, and, and they never told her what they were doing. They would tell me, and we would just laugh because it was just, we were just all family. I don't even know why I said that. Oh, well, this message isn't. <laughs> I remember one time 
I got real fiery and I was preaching against some kind of sin that was going on in the city. I don't remember what it was. It has a really meaningful sermon. And this lady knew. She said, well, what did what pastor preach about? What would you like? He preached against sin. And the other son said, well, what did he say about it? He was against it. <laughs> we laughed about that. That was so great. So I'm sorry I didn't preach against sin and tell you I'm against it or to give you in, in three points over 20 minutes the answer to all your trials right now. But what I'm telling you is I am giving you the answer. This is why God put you on this earth. And you partner with God. You seek first the kingdom. You keep on interceding. You keep on studying the word. You keep on listening to the dreams and visions that God gives you. You keep on holding fast to what God is showing. And um, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All the things you need are going to be added to you. He's doing that now. We're going to see unprecedented visitations of the power and the presence of our Father. We're going to see nations transformed. We're going to see cities overwhelmed by the reality of this Scripture that is not allegory. This is real. And you're in the middle of it. You are at the throne of God praying about these things. This is not some wild-eyed, crazy man, new age, progressive, wacko thing. This is the Word of God, and you're living it. So I release whatever provision God has for you today. Uh, you know, the enemy has tried to kill every one of us in this place, and he's not succeeded. He's not going to succeed. Some of you, we're all getting older. The best days are ahead. Believe that. Be like Caleb. Give me this mountain. Show all those whippersnappers that are coming along that God, let me show you what God has shown me. Let me show you what I believe for. God showed me this years ago. Now we're going to take this mountain. Some of you right now, the enemy's trying to destroy you physically. He's a liar. But sometimes it's not even the enemy. Sometimes it's just your genetics, your body. And God gave you that body. He knows exactly where he is. He's not, he's not saying, well, you know what? I created Ava to do this for me, but gosh, I, I didn't see the things she's going to be facing physically. What in the world am I going to do? Oh, my. Oh, myself. What am I going to do? God knows exactly where each of you are. And so let's rise up and make, make glad the city of our God. Let's enjoy this privilege of partnering with God, and let's be faithful in it. Wow, I love this passage. Some of you sopranos, some of you falsetto singers, get limbered up. This is stirring. This is exciting. And it's, uh, it's where we are right now. So, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of Elohim, the holy, I didn't know there's no place, the holy of the tabernacles, plural, of Elion. You know what every one of those terms mean. You know it. You've studied it. You know what Elion is. You know what the tabernacles are. You know where these places are. You know what Elohim is. You know, you know, God, isn't God good that he took the time over these years to teach you each of these principles? Certainly we don't know everything there is to know. Who would? But you are conversant with the biblical meanings of these things. Isn't God good that he would take you to this point and he'd say, okay, I'm doing this right now. Intercessors, get ready. And we can read through this scripture and bing, 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 one by one. He's touching these things that you have a biblical definition of and you have a functional understanding of. Only God could do that. And I'm grateful. 
I'm grateful to him for that. But don't in any way, and I'm ending with this, don't in any way allow the enemy or this world to make you think there's no hope, that you're just, you're done, it's time for somebody else to take over. Who's going to take over? What if Caleb said that? Instead of give me this mountain, well, you know, I see that mountain. I just don't think I can make it up that mountain now, let alone if there are any giants up there. Lord, send somebody else to take that mountain. I don't see that anywhere in the Scripture. I don't want to be that. You know, I'm 65 now. I remember when I was a kid, 65 was over the hill and one foot in the grave, and the other one on a banana peel. I'm, I'm ready to roll. I'm stronger than I've been in decades. Give me this mountain. You're there too. You are there too. Don't listen to what the world says. Don't listen to what your body says. Don't listen to what anything says other than what God says. He makes no mistakes. You are right where you're supposed to be. And look around you through this pocket of people and through the pockets of the saints. I don't know which camera's on. Um, through the pockets of the saints, God is touching the world. Let that sink in. He needs you. You were made for this time. And these things are happening right now. So, I end. I said I was going to end. This is, the, this is the period at the end of the message. What's God done today? Just quick. Started off with difficulties in the sound system. Pastor Fabian spoke about dreams and vision in Sunday school. We came in here. Monica talked about the, the, the wonderful points of intercession that God has initiated for this season. Talked about the glorious time we had the other night. Talked about other things too, but right in the middle of this pool right here, pop, the ear opened. Right? Les came up, said some very inspiring things about looking forward to climbing the mountains and, and looking for the, the things that God has shown as mild posts and uh, guide posts. These visions and these dreams there are that for us. We're going higher in the Lord and saying, you need to write a book of the promises of God and what He said. And then this message. That's something. And we began it all with me holding Levi, which, other than the fact that I love him and we all love him, speaks about the babies that are coming spiritually. Amen. Father, I thank you. There's no real way to end this. I guess we could do a, a river dance up here, which I'd like to see. <laughs> then we'd have to have a healing meeting. Um, Thank you. Use these folks. Quicken these intercessors. Help us to serve you in the way that you require of us in these days. And as we come now to the table of the Lord, this table of grace, there are things that you want to release to your people as we fellowship, we're sitting at this table with you, Jesus. You have things you want to say to us. You have ways that you want to give us counsel, to encourage. You have ways that you want to highlight our calling. There are ways that you're going to cause the sprinkling of your blood to touch areas in our life that are being activated right now for this season, empowering us. You're at this table with us. I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and a heart to be willing to hear and to understand. I release the empowerment from this table for the things that have been spoken from your word today. And let us all, whether we're in this place or wherever we may be joining, I pray that we would 
emerge from this day moving forward in what you're doing on behalf of this world. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever according to what you said at your right hand. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this time of commune, and we, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to do some business here.